Okay, uh, welcome. So, uh, the past, I don't know, for maybe like a month now or something like that, I've been talking a lot about um, this one particular uh, Franciscan monk who he runs a um, center in New Mexico. It's called like the Center for Contemplation and Love and Freedom or something like that. Sounds like a place I would want to go. Um, And it's uh, just south of Santa Fe. And his name is Father Richard Rohr. And he's really wild. um, Like, my joke is like, if you're almost about to get kicked out of the Catholic Church, then I'm like kind of into you. Having been raised Catholic, he's been really helpful for me, healing my Catholic wounds. And then I've also simultaneously been into this comedian named Pete Holmes. Have you guys heard of him? Um, He has a whole comedy about divorce, um, which is really good. Oh, yeah, I didn't see some of you yesterday. Guess what I found out on Valentine's Day? I'm officially divorced. (laughs) So I know, isn't that funny? And so we're calling Valentine's Day now, how many identities can I shed to get to the heart of who I am day, rather than just Valentine's Day. Doesn't that sound like a better day? Yeah, I know. Um, So Pete Holmes and Richard Rohr happen to really like each other, and so there's a bunch of podcasts where they're talking. And at the end of the one that I listened to recently, Pete Holmes asked about, um, he sort of was talking about it in this way where, he was like, okay, I'm going to ask you about reincarnation. And this is how I think about it. It's like you run into people and you're like, oh, well, they're taking a pass on this life. Or, oh, they're going to need another couple go-arounds. And when he asked Richard Rohr about this, the first time when I listened to it, I was kind of like, I didn't hear it because that's how I was thinking before I heard Richard Rohr's answer. And if you think about it, there's a subtext there where, that has to do with perfection, Like, oh, they're not doing it right. Oh, they're going to need another go around, right? I know. Did you, I've acted like this, and I didn't even realize that I was acting like it because I was like, oh, it's yoga, it's reincarnation, you know? (laughs) And also thought about it for myself, like, oh my gosh, thank God there's a multiple lifetime perspective because I haven't really, I really fucked this up, you know? And then Richard Rohr says to him, he's like, oh, Catholics did this too. We just invented purgatory. (laughs) And the subtext of that, right, was that you go there because you didn't do it right and you have to burn off all your sins, but it's the same subtext, right? And then he says, but if you believe in infinite, infinite, like infinite love, like more than you could possibly imagine, right? then that subtext and that way of speaking doesn't really like make sense, right? And that the only way that we get to know wholeness is through grace. That actually that there's nothing that we need to do. Bless you. That'll be on the podcast, but it's going to be fine. Like less time than finding a math space. (laughs) Um, And that the only way that grace, my favorite definition of grace is that you like, receive a kind of knowing of your wholeness without actually having to do anything, right? That it just happens. And that we use this practice to make ourselves receptive to grace so that when it comes, we might be like, oh my gosh, like I feel that feeling of love and forgiveness and compassion and wholeness like flowing through me and that we might pause and be able to recognize it. Does that make sense, friends? And 
Um, there's a yoga sutra, it's sutra 114, and it says that we must practice for a long time with enthusiasm. And if you think about it, wouldn't it be a lot easier to practice for a long time with enthusiasm if we're remembering that this whole thing is held up by love? Do you get it? And that if we're trying to practice for a long time with enthusiasm to understand our own wholeness and to understand God and spirit, um, that if we're having, we're, we're meeting the practice from a comparing and judgmental mind, that it might be a lot harder to do. You guys see that? And I had never gotten this before, ever. It was like my sneaky little judgmental mind had made this like just new way of thinking about it that I like put under the category of yoga and that made it okay, right? And then the question becomes, well, why would we practice? Couldn't we just like smoke cigarettes and read People magazine? And then we're, everything, we're, you know, grace is going to come and it's going to be fine. But like, if we're practicing with the understanding that this whole thing is held up by love and the infinite love and infinite grace is available to us, then when we practice, we just get to touch in on like that bliss of knowing what we really are. And it makes practice so much more joyful. Does that make sense? We're not doing it to like become perfect or do something right that we used to do wrong. We're doing it just for joy. Yeah? And then we're going to be able to practice for a long time with enthusiasm. There's this old teaching story, um, which I am pretty sure I'm totally saying wrong. But there's a devotee and he's going to walk up the mountain and go talk to Shiva. And... On the path there, this sounds also very much like a Bible story. I love how they all sound the same. And on the path there, um, he meets three practitioners. And this is the story is totally told from the male perspective because back, you know, in the old days, it was just men who practiced. And now look at this room. Anyways, just saying. Um, I should say practitioners. Um, and one of the, they all, all three of the practitioners on the path say, "Oh my gosh, you're going to see Shiva." Ask Shiva how long, how many lifetimes it's going to take me before I'm absolved into absolute perfect love, right? And so the practitioner goes up and talks with Shiva and then comes back down and is walking along the path and meets the first practitioner. And the first practitioner says, what did Shiva say? And the guy goes, well, the monk says, well, for you, it's going to be 40 more lifetimes. And that practitioner is like, oh, you know, right? Because it's this, he, and the way I'm taking this story at this point right now is that that practitioner is probably moving from the perspective that there's something bad and wrong and isn't comparing mind and is not actually meeting for the practice from that place of bliss and joy and love. Yeah. And then moves to the second practitioner. And this practitioner is a little bit more lighthearted. What did Shiva say? And he says, the monk says, for you it's going to be 800 more lifetimes. <laughs> and this practitioner is a little bit more even keels like, all right, you know, but still is like lacking sort of that like yesness for the practice. And then the final practitioner on the path, what did she say? How many lifetimes? And the guy says, the monk says, well, for you, 1,800 more lifetimes. And this practitioner is like, let's fucking do it. <laughs> and it's like, I'm really paraphrasing. This is not in the book. <laughs> but immediately is like, yes, 1,800 more lifetimes to meet love and be in bliss. Let's do it. 
And then immediately a chariot comes down with Shiva on it and swoops this practitioner away, right? And that's grace. That's that grace. Because that practitioner met the practice with joy and understood that this is just an opportunity to understand that we are expressions of love in this life. And that's it. That there's nothing that we need to do or be or say to be worthy of love in this life, which is what I say in every Dharma talk. It always ends there, but there's a reason for that because it's really, really true. Make sense, friends? Mm-hmm. I know. Isn't it made practice more exciting? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, there's nothing you need to do to know God. You already do. 